0: <laughs> <laughs> well i'm eating ramen noodles because that's just how my evening's been um we just it's had him at home he is yeah he's here but we just had support group so i've been on that i For- totally forgot about it mm-hmm. so we had support group and then baby decided to vomit all of her food up all over her and all over mm-hmm. sam so I just had like a, uh, she just had a wet wipe bath for the moment. <laughs> yeah. So instead of like making my gluten-free pizza that I was going to do, because I get like a gluten-free crust, um, and then I make my own pizza, which I really enjoy doing, like a, with a cauliflower crust, um, I'm eating ramen noodles instead.
1: <laughs> really
0: big 180, but sometimes you just have to. Sometimes yes. that's just the evening. That's right.
1: Life with a newborn. Uh-huh.
0: Yes. Well, um, yeah. How was group? It was great. Um, I mean, it's, you know, everybody's got a lot of stuff going on. We have some people gearing up for a transfer. We have a couple people gearing up for um another retrieval. So yeah. it was good. Good. Yeah. It's always good. It's always good to connect. Very good. Yeah. So um Very good. Yeah. So today on the podcast, let's chat. So today on the podcast, we have the amazing Suzanne Dejolo. She is an embryologist for the Center for Reproductive Medicine in Mobile, Alabama. And I just love her. Uh, Her pseudonym is the sperm doc. And we talk a lot about sperm. (laughs) That is her thing. She uh, calls herself or she doesn't call it. She was essentially anointed the name Sperm Doc, and she has run with it for for the last, like, what, 27 years, something like that? Yeah, Um, I think so, 20. A long, 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 long time. So anyway, we have an amazing conversation with her that's just really, honestly, like three friends hanging out. It's less like embryology 101. It's not like that at all. It's honestly just a really interesting, candid conversation with an embryologist who talks about the ups and downs of her career, and the hardships, and the good things, and the beautiful things, and kind of what's next in embryology, and it's a really wonderful conversation, mm-hmm. and we laugh yeah. a lot.
1: <laughs> in 27 years of a new science, you see mm-hmm. a lot change, you know, yes. to be in the world of IVF when it was kind of like in the baby stages, yeah. you know, when it was still really... uh unattainable unreachable just very 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 small niche right and almost 30 years later it's changed a lot and I did really appreciate that she she was exactly who Suzanne is she, oh for sure she's really fun on the podcast and she there's a lot of questions that we ask her and she's like oh hot damn ladies you're trying to get me in trouble <laughs> you know they <laughs> exactly always want right. to play politically correct in a certain way. So she was like, oh, do I have to answer? So I hope you guys have a good time listening. We had a great time talking.
0: Yes. Um, She's awesome. So anyway, you guys enjoy. (laughs) well should we get into the episode guys let's chat yeah sure You're, y'all you are the bosses well we're just excited that we have like an uninterrupted hour with you I feel like every time we're together you have like 8,000 things that you have to be responsible for and so this is just a treat
2: well that's until my dog barks
0: that's okay and mine then will they too. say it's time to feed me <laughs> Mine probably will too. So you're in good company and Aaron's, although Erin's is usually pretty quiet. I feel like on our podcasts.
1: Yeah, she's not in here. She's outside with the kids right now.
0: So I think they're playing basketball, which keeps her very busy. Oh, that's fun. Sometimes mm-hmm. I take our dogs to play tennis with us and it's like absolute mayhem. They run back and forth and literally as we're volleying back and forth. The dogs are trying to go back and forth to chase the ball. It's so funny.
1: (laughs) That's super cute.
0: (laughs) Maggie would love that. Yeah. It does wear them out, though. Yes, it does. That's the goal. That's the key. Wear myself out and wear them out. (laughs) That's right. Um, Yeah. So, Suzanne, I would love it if you could, obviously, Aaron and I know you very well, and we're very excited for you to be here, but I would love it if you could share with the rest of the world, you know, who you are and what you do, and a little bit of your background, I think that would be awesome. Get everybody up to speed. Get everybody up to speed. Well, I am the lab director at the
2: Center for Adaptive Medicine in Mobile, and I have been there for, uh, I guess, probably over 27 years now. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I can't believe it either sometimes that I've stayed in one place for 27 years. <laughs> um, but um, I started out um, not wanting to do this, really. I was <laughs> wanted to teach. Uh, this wasn't where I wanted to be. I actually be a, to be a vet. You'd be a great teacher. Yeah, really
1: I think that, so. Oh, yeah, you'd be a great teacher, for sure. Um,
2: but I started out wanting to be a vet. Uh, and... That's why I was in the dairy science. I got all my degrees in dairy science.
3: Can you explain not.
0: exactly what dairy science is? Because I don't know what that is.
2: Well, when you come from a, a family that has milked cows. Got it. Dairy science is the science of learning how to run a dairy, learning milking cows and how to take care of them and nutrition and reproduction and all facets of the dairy running industry, a farm. Wow. running a farm.
1: Yeah. Okay. And so I want this, when you told me this the first time, it really blew my mind. So I want you to lay out, how does one go from dairy science? Cause you have a PhD in that, right?
2: yes but it's focusing on the male reproductive physiology
1: which is animal husbandry is that what that's called no
2: it's uh dairy science specifically oh Um, my degrees are all in dairy science but the um my master's and phd specialize in male reproductive physiology so that's how it can convert so easily to you doing what I do. So
1: you're going to school to be a vet and you're studying cow sperm. And then where do you get the call that someone says, I have an idea? <laughs> Take a left and come and let's do human reproduction instead. I don't think that anybody in America would really know that that was normal because you told me that that was very common and that a lot of people that work in embryology labs have come out of this veterinary study which really it really did like blow up my skirt and I can't stop thinking <laughs> about it so tell people how now thanks happened. for giving me that
2: image I appreciate <laughs> that Erin but honestly I did research in uh with uh The clinic in New Orleans, when I was working on my master's degree, so I started out seeing that side of it, trying doing a little bit of research um, with that clinic in New Orleans. Um, Not a whole lot. It was, and honestly, I can't even remember what research it was. uh, To be completely honest with you, Um, but I touched, I dabbed in it uh, for my master's degree, and it just was in the back of my head uh that it was a direction i could go if i didn't go into teaching um once i got out and finished my um master's or if i got into my phd program after um, after i finished my master's so it was always in the back of my mind and when i finished my phd i started working at that same clinic um while I was looking for a job and Dr. Koulianos just happened to have worked in that clinic uh as well when he was uh finishing his fellowship and he just called and found me there so it was a divine um mm-hmm. meant to be so uh yeah, I wasn't 27 to work in years field. later here yeah. we are Yes, but as far as other people, it is just the right path. Um, a lot of people with their work on their PhDs are doing, working in genetics um, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, or the, uh, doing a lot of research in, um, with oocytes and um, most of them are doing more work with oocytes versus sperm. There's not a whole lot of us in the sperm area. So it's just a direction, whether they're working with mouse embryos or um, cattle, pig, whatnot. A lot of them are working in the animal industry, working on um, oocytes, and it's just a direction to move into.
3: So you so make that...
0: cow embryos and then transfer cow embryos?
2: Yeah, they're doing IVF in cattle, IVF in a lot of. Uh, and horses
3: definitely big in big horses industry. Yeah. Yeah, that's how industry. you
1: get the show ponies and the super breeds, right? You take yep. You make embryos from these super duper stud horses. Do you have super duper stud cows? Is that <laughs> there are
2: super <laughs> duper stud cows, yes. Really? It's a big industry. Yeah. That blows my, my know, mind. I was my one of my techs Uh, that worked with me for a while decided that human field wasn't for him. And he ended up starting his own company doing IVF um, and cattle and traveled all over the world, not just the United States.
1: So yeah, present day, is that still a, is that still a normal course for someone to switch in between these two worlds or you know, that was almost 30 years ago. Is it more common that we have like a human to human track or do you feel like a lot of embryologists still work in animal science? I'm assuming animal science is easier to study because of all the restrictions on human tissue and human embryos, et cetera. So yeah, doing
2: pigs and mice is probably know. much easier. I am finding most of my people out of just out of biology right now. I'm not sure. Um, maybe the phd level um might be more coming out of uh animal sciences uh of their science i'm not sure honestly i'm not keeping up with it um but uh as far as technicians and masters i'm seeing more people coming out of biology level that are wanting to be trained in the field
1: after you told me that day that we were at the laboratory that because I have a microbiology degree that I could essentially qualify to move forward into embryology. I came home and told my husband, I was like, babe, Suzanne said that I could go to school to be an embryologist. (laughs) And he was like, oh, shit. (laughs) What now, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He really thought, oh, my God, you're kidding. Like, why would she tell you that? That's not something you're actually (laughs) thinking about, is it? And I was like, I'm just saying. If this new... (laughs) this new direction doesn't work out. I have a backup plan. I was so relieved, but he did not see it that way. He was like, oh my God, you're about to do another dozen years of school.
2: (laughs) Anyway, I thought that was funny. Um, I I don't remember that you, you telling me that you had a microbiology degree. I was sitting
1: at the microscope scooping sperms and and pit, pi, what is that the pipette yeah I was scooping yeah. them up and playing with them and I said something about having you know done microbiology in college and you were like oh you could be an embryologist and I was like hot damn got a backup
2: plan there you go backup <laughs> there
1: you go although I can't tell you that pipetting and uh those microscopes that was not really my forte so you can imagine me in a laboratory. It's I, not.
2: I, I think you're where you need to be.
1: <laughs> I, do, I do better with human
0: contact, that's for sure. <laughs>
3: I My cannot, college.
0: The amount of time of you complain about sitting in front of a computer every single day. There is no way you could sit in front of a computer screen and pick out little sperms. <laughs> like, no. just when I
1: was in college and I wanted to work in a science laboratory in a micro lab, and I went to my favorite teacher and she said to me to my face, I don't think you're cut out for the laboratory. You're way too cheerleader. I remember thinking like on one hand that's accurate and on the other hand that's offensive but I did end up working in her laboratory and you know what she put me in charge of collecting fecal samples that was my job That's that's perfect yeah she was really gonna make a point out of this is not for you so they called me the we all had a title Um, with a czar in the title we all had you're the blah 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 czar and you're the petri dish czar I was the fecal czar that's what it said on the board I would
2: have done the poop czar
1: (laughs) (laughs) anyhow so uh, um why did you pick sperm doc as your call sign because I also think that's hilarious I I
2: I think it was picked for me I mean because Dr. K used to tell all the patients that he talked to that I was the bull sperm doctor. <laughs> so in that respect it was picked for me. Now as far as my license plate on my car. Yeah, that. <laughs> that was a dare. <laughs> really? I think that nobody really thought I would do it when I was jokingly saying that I think I should do sperm dog for my license plate. And I because of that, I
0: just had to. Well,
1: there is in- nothing about your car that's
2: incognito. Definitely not.
0: <laughs> no. Not even remotely.
2: Not not remotely. No. And now I have people following behind me with their phones. Taking a picture, I'm sure. Phones, taking pictures, and it's hilarious. I just wave and keep going.
3: <laughs> yeah. so,
0: it is. Yeah. Um,
1: so, okay. So, sperm. Haha. Ha. That's what we're really going to talk about. Sperm is the biggest reason because we always talk about sperm. Isn't it wonderful to have somebody that I can just call up and be like, "I need to talk to you about sperm." <laughs> just, I love that. Um. So we wanted to talk about sperm. Is finally starting to get some traction. I mean, it is, isn't it? Right. Like 50 years later, people are starting to acknowledge that sperm matters. And I'm really stoked about it because women have gotten a bad rap for everything for this whole infertility process. And it's only just beginning to say, oh, and by the way, sperm matters. It mattered before.
2: It's just that nobody recognized it. Why you're going to ask? I don't know.
0: Because of the patriarchy. I,
2: I just didn't want to say it. Yeah.
0: Of course but, it is. It's, that's come what, on. Right. That's what we're but,
1: here for, to say the ugly words, patriarchy. Well done, Bryant.
0: Thank you for pulling it out. Well, I mean. Yeah. Male-dominated world. Erin, you have to tell the funny Suzanne, thing is, you have to tell Suzanne about the, oh my gosh. Okay. This
1: was in my doctoral program and it was in a public health class. And we had to do an assignment about how media, how media can skew a public health announcement. And so we had to go find a, a video clip, or I think you could use a magazine too. I ended up finding several that were the same
0: topic. So, the clip, that's why we're in a protected space, Suzanne. You know, it's the endocrine, those endocrine disrupting chemicals that are the problem. That's the reason he started his um, farm. That's so So interesting. So, what is an endocrine disrupting chemical? Can you explain that? Yeah, in the limited time that you
2: you guys are giving me, but it's. um,
0: We want the the idiot's version.
2: Yeah. Explains <laughs> me like I'm five. It's, it's blocking the path that the hormones are. You know, I read up all on this today because uh, it, this is not my total area. Yeah. But it's keeping the hormone from working like it's supposed to work, basically. So it's blocking its pathway.
3: And so, so these, that chemicals, idiot
2: versions, and like these chemicals. Are... And these chemicals are. Plastic bottles and phthalates and you know fertilizers kind of and
1: pesticides, pesticides and hydrogenated fats and oils hydrogenated fats and oils is a huge one with well, endocrine you disruption. are the nutritionist
0: it's true and also i mean correct me if i'm wrong but like sh- shampoos and conditioners and skincare products and all that stuff have right isn't that like why you want to look at like five free and higher um Isn't that what you always want to look for on a a bottle? That's what I was always told, is to buy the bottle that says it's buy-free and higher. It's higher, yeah. Yeah. But
1: I think you could, it's not just what we ingest, though. It's the chemicals that are on your box box spring and your mattress. Mm. The chemicals that are in your carpet that you order that was $99 and you got it in two days. The chemicals in your car seats. Like, things that we are completely surrounded by. Right. We're surrounded by it all the time, the cotton in your clothes, and of course the EMFs that are coming off all the devices and all of those frequencies. All of that, I think, contributes to it. I think that's why it's starting to become exponential. You know, like when it was just the food source, it was one thing, but now over time, in every level of life, we have so much chemical exposure.
2: That. Yeah, I did actually just read an article about the cell phone and, and sperm quality, and they didn't show any um, effect of it. So I don't know too much about that one, but who knows on whether how they designed it well, whether they designed it well, and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot I... more that probably needs to be done on that side of it.
0: I remember, Suzanne, when I first came, when Sam and I first became patients there, that I remember you asking. Sam, because my husband's a software developer, and he um, does a lot of really crazy things. And he used to have his old job. um, He used to have to like go into these rooms and wear this like outfit or whatever, so Mm -hmm. they wouldn't get like radiation or whatever. And I remember you being like, "Are you wearing it over over your lap?" (laughs) 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 Are you wearing the protection over your lap?
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. But if he's wearing the bunny suit, it also increases the temperature. Um, mm. because it does get very hot in those bunny suits. That's right. interesting.
1: Well, I am a believer that if computer screens can give you dry eyes, then they can probably also give you dry nuts.
2: <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. All right. <laughs> That's a funny I quote. never thought about the dry nut theory.
1: Roasted nuts. Gross. Who doesn't love roasted nuts? That's
2: great. That's great joking material. It is. You're right. You did good. I I might have to save that one for my class.
1: You should. I think think it'll get a laugh. It'll lighten the mood. You need a laugh. And then
2: and then you know what they're doing? They're all going,
1: Oh my god, I have dry nuts. I use my computer in my lap all the time. (laughs) I
2: I, I think about heat with the laptop on on the on the lap. Yeah. That's there constantly.
0: Yeah, I always wonder, I actually like even wonder that with like my ovaries, like I work with my laptop in my lap all the time. Am I doing some weird heat problem there?
2: I don't know if heat's as as much of an issue with the ovary because it's got more space that it's got to go through, you know, they're not Mm -hmm. dangling and they're not supposed to dangle and and, uh, body temperature doesn't make as much of a difference there. Mm-hmm.
0: So interesting um, how much body temperature affects that. The sperm. Yes, like
2: I mean, if we're getting you know technical, they are hanging for a reason. Right.
1: How how much difference is there supposed to be between your normal body temperature
2: and the gonad temperature? Like a full degree, two degrees? Oh, it's a couple of degrees difference. But you know, you're asking me off the spot and I don't remember.
1: <laughs> so, what um, about <laughs> then? What do we think ahead. about like cryo activity now that everybody's into ice baths and cryo chill? Is that good for nuts or bad for nuts? <laughs> if you freeze your roasted nuts,
2: <laughs> you know, I've not thought about the freezing of the roasted nuts with the cryo activity. Well, I really am. I I have.
1: Um, a,
3: a I had
2: thought about that interest
1: now. Yeah, I mean, do they? Because it doesn't um, unroast them, but does
2: it do something else? Well, <gasps> I mean, I know specifically on a sperm cell that cold is not good. Right. But mm. temp cold temperature through the testis I don't know because it does get awfully cold up north. You know. It's yeah. true. And sperm is better up north than it is down south.
0: I was about to ask regionally, like, where are we, where are the biggest flaws? Because also I just read an article on the New York Times that they just published like yesterday or the day before yesterday. It was really recent. Um, That there is, that Africa is now the, has, it's like baby booming. Like it has the lowest median age than any other continent, um like their median age is 19 which is showing really promising things they were saying for like reproductive other countries that are struggling with like keeping up with the demand like the life what am I trying to say the life cycle thank you yes life cycle (laughs) (laughs) um I'll send you the, the article it was pretty cool um but yeah I thought that was really interesting right I mean because it's warm there. Yeah. So how does so <laughs> so explain it like I'm five, please? Regionally, if sperm like we have higher here in the south, I'm just guessing at this point, male factor issues than what our friends in Minnesota might have.
2: Yeah, and the reason I'm saying that
0: is that um
2: you know cats in school at uh, in. Virginia, and she's talked to a couple of her friends that have said that they have never seen a patient with, uh, 0% normal forms. And I'm like, we have, have it daily here. Right. Wow. Um, Um, so. Well, that's because
1: uh, it's not the heat, it's the humidity.
2: Wait a minute, they're drier up there too, aren't they? So So if if you're talking about the roasted nuts, what?
1: (laughs) I think they're roasted and dehydrated because we sweat all the time. So then we have a sweaty (laughs) dry roasted peanuts. We
2: have like boiled peanuts down here. You're totally confusing my reproductive brain now.
1: Well, (laughs) I think what's gonna happen is that you're gonna go to your colleagues and be like, okay, guys. We need to do some research because we've got I a crisis. I totally We're don't ready. understand
2: my thoughts anymore after talking. <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: This is what happens in my brain
2: all the time. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I, I know. And I feel sorry for Brian. <laughs> no, it's
0: fine. Mine jumps around just as much, just not typically as humorously as Aaron's do. She's the funnier one of us. It's true.
2: I'm really on a roll with the sweaty balls thing. I don't know mm. where it's coming from. Oh, uh, don't cook your balls is a, is a statement for one of the, uh, the
0: companies for the ice packs. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I believe it. But I, rem- I remember, Suzanne, another thing. So one of the few things you told Sam, um, was to eat a cup of blueberries every day. Eat I salmon it. twice a week. You it sure that was- wasn't Dr. Inge? It- wasn't Doctor? It was either you or Doctor K. One or the other, he, because they usually do more diet stuff like that. It must have it must have been Doctor K then. And but you, I know specifically said, "Does he run?" And I said, "Yeah." This was after we got stop. Like, and yeah, you said, "Tell him to stop running in the summertime and get those boxers that hug his balls." <laughs> That's what you said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: nut huggers. Yeah, yeah, I was with the nut that. hammock
0: and but after the, that the diet no That's and then me. after that though um his next collection he was great he went from having yeah. c plus sperm to a plus plus sperm at our IUI is what you I said. just want
1: to point out that I think this is at least the third podcast that we have referenced the ball cooling nut hugger hammock underpants. And I would really like for them to reach out and contact us because they would be
2: ideal sponsors for the podcast. So true. I'm still looking for a temperature here
0: for y'all. Oh,
1: oh that's so okay. sweet. Thank you. That that's nice a scientist right there. She's I know. Like, we have to get to I'm the gonna, answer.
0: I'm going to fact check this.
1: <laughs> we can splice it in as like a voiceover, the correct temperature for ball sacks. It's two degrees below Fahrenheit of your body
2: temperature. No, I think it's more than that. Really? Like three or four? I think it's four degrees. Wow. You know, since, and I should know it because that's what I studied when I did my PhD.
1: Well, Mm. it might be different in cows.
2: Yeah, but I think the basic temperature should be the same when you're not wearing clothes. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: You know, Interesting,
2: but since you know we wear clothes, it kind of changes that temperature a bit.
1: <laughs> I was just sitting here thinking, I wonder if testicles have a microbiome. Like, I wonder if that's going to be something that we discover too—that there's a different kind of bacterial flora that grows inside the testes. Because pretty much everything has a flora of some kind, I think is My what a
2: really lot like that goes on down there no not in the testis itself there's not a whole lot of fluid unless there's injury okay
1: it's a closed circuit mm-hmm. no germs are getting in god
2: men are so lucky <laughs> i mean unless you get up towards the prostate you know some of the vesicles up there then you're getting into an area where uh you're getting some problems because uh, you can get prostatitis and well, you can get epididymitis, and the epididymis. Mm-hmm. So that's an area where we can have some microbiome issues. But I've never heard of testicularitis. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Boy.
2: Well,
1: okay. What do you think about? So this is a hot topic. There's a lot. Just FYI,
2: of- guys, the microphone that y'all use. Very phallic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's true.
0: It's actually but not our, this isn't our normal podcast setup. Our normal pot, we usually do it together or we try to do most of our podcasts together. We have a little podcast room, but since this is the evening and Erin wanted to not drive, you know, obviously and me either to her office tonight. So we have the phallic yes microphones tonight. Yeah.
2: Just yeah. FYI. <laughs> I keep looking at them going. <laughs> they only knew. <laughs> Well, um, now off topic. Go on. Go ahead and finish. Okay. Okay.
1: okay, what I was gonna ask is this. So PGT, PGS, whichever set you want to use, it's a big thing. There's all kinds of conversation really showing up now about is it as valid as we thought? Should we be doing it? Um, who's it appropriate for? Blah, blah, blah. And I think Brian can speak to the fact that I think again, it's sold to us as a sure thing, right? PGS, like you're gonna, you're gonna know what you need to know. And then you kind of, if you do happen to be an outlier, then they go, oh, except we don't really know that. So we know everything that we need to know for what we know, but then here's all <coughs> the things that we don't know. And we weren't gonna tell you about that because most people are fine. So I'm really curious about uh-huh. where Where that's leading us, what do you think about that?
2: I, I, um. Or do you plead the fifth? I'm not, I'm not pleading totally the fifth. I think it has its place, uh, but it's very confusing with mosaicism.
1: Tell us what mosaicism is.
2: Mosaicism is when there are both normal and abnormal cells in the embryo.
1: So when you're doing IVF class, you give everybody some numbers. If there's X amount of normal, it's normal. If there's X amount of abnormal, it's abnormal. And if it's mosaic, it means it's got both. What's the number that they have to have to be like totally normal or totally abnormal?
0: I think that's what's being debated Uh, right now, right? I feel like everybody's numbers are all over the place, huh?
2: 30% and fewer is
0: totally normal. Okay. Am I saying that right? So 70% Um, normal cells. Yes. Makes you normal.
2: Normal. The catch group is the 30 to 50% because a lot of people, that's a low level mosaic. Mm -hmm. And the groups are are because people can get pregnant with low level mosaics
0: right Mm -hmm. and there's a
2: new paper that just came out that looked at pregnancy rates and this is the problem is we've got enough data out now that shows that you can get pregnant with low level mosaics so what are we supposed to do with that data is is the problem do we change our ranges Do we tell people that you have a low-level mosaic and you make the decision whether you want to transfer it back? Mm -hmm.
3: Because does a low-level...
1: Well, does that mean that there's something that will be wrong with the person? Or does that just mean that that person's going to be quirky? How do we know?
2: You don't because you don't know if it matches the inner cell mass. Right. you have taking cells out of the trifectoderm, which makes the placental cells, and it's supposed to match at ninety six percent chances that it matches the outer part and the inner part. Mm-hmm. But does there's it? No way we're gonna find that out. Interesting. You can't find that out.
0: You don't so, retest. Go ahead. that's too
1: damaging, right? Right. You
0: can never biopsy the inner cell mass. No because Not that's in, where
1: your chromosomal structure is and you would that's harm the baby it, that's right the baby. that's
0: that's the baby
2: yeah now you know and i probably shouldn't say this because you know I shouldn't say it but in the animal field they used to take an embryo slice it absolutely in half and put each half in a cow and make identical twins
0: Whoa, what? that worked, yep. That's crazy because that's...
2: because the baby's not formed at that point yet, right. But the cells just know what to do,
0: yeah, so that's just the equivalent but... of one that splits, yeah, like that in yeah. human, like a splitting embryo, okay.
2: but you we can't do that in the human field because it's human, right? And we can't mess with the DNA like that.
1: We had a. We talked to somebody about a podcast, and he said he's a uh, found out that he was donor
0: conceived late in life when he was in his 50s. He's I don't know how old he is now, but in his 70s, he's older than my mom. He was born okay. in 45, okay. 1945, donor conceived. Wow, yeah. that was donor sperm back then. Yeah, i been frozen. I'll let you, I'll give
1: you his book next. You can read it. It's really interesting. He kind of goes into all the history of that. But the thing he says, which I think is so true, and I had never thought about it, is that there's more regulation in animal husbandry and animal reproduction than there is in human reproduction. Like you
0: can. I think he said it wasn't human reproduction all around, it was donor conceived human reproduction. Okay. Yeah. Let's quantify that. Okay. Yeah.
2: I think that's really fascinating. I, um, yes and no. I don't know if there's more regulation in
0: animal.
3: So well, he was we saying, talking like, about
0: like, like little things, like there is no like sibling registry at all. There is no at a federal level limitations on how often somebody can donate sperm and the regulations that do exist are from like nineteen like seventy or something like that, where like you can have twenty five siblings within a what was it? Um eight hundred thousand people. Yeah.
2: There's a hundred thousand. You can have twenty births within a hundred thousand.
0: Hmm. And that so like that's so interesting to me. Yeah. So anyways, it was just a really cool conversation and he was a really interesting guy to talk to.
1: I think that was a um, left turn. Sorry, y'all.
0: Yeah, that's okay. We like the squirrel a lot.
2: A <laughs>
0: <laughs> we do that all the time. Yep, it's true. So yeah, like, I mean, you you can use me as an example, Suzanne. We talk about my shit on here all the time. But like, you know, for me, I'm obviously very thankful that I did PGD testing with my last round of embryos because they were so complexly abnormal complexly complexly wow multiple, multiple abnormalities per array yes per and, embryo. right and I've never had more than one abnormality before this is the first time that's ever happened to me but I'm just really glad that IPGT tested so that I didn't transfer any of those just personally as a recurrent pregnancy loss patient
2: right because you would have had a either not gotten pregnant or had a
0: miscarriage with them yes and more than likely I would have gotten pregnant and had a miscarriage because my body my well I went to see obviously a reproductive immunologist in Chicago and she calls it super fertility where most humans uteruses if they sense an abnormality the transfer will fail but some people have this thing called super fertility where your uterus will literally implant anything um even if it's unhealthy so like She called that super fertility or something. It's like a very interesting way to look at it, but.
2: Uh, I've never heard that before, but interesting. Mm -hmm. Super Um, fertility.
1: So I think it's cool. I think it's something to talk about, but some clinics have adopted testing as just standard. It's protocol. Mm -hmm. Everybody. Does freeze all, everybody does PGS testing. And I think the benefit of that is that it takes away the decision of having to decide for yourself if that's something that you want to do and it's just part of the program. Because I think it's hard for people to try to figure out for them, is this worth it? I mean, unless they go in knowing, okay, because of our age or because we have this genetic disposition or something like that. If you're in these sort of unexplained, averaged age couple. It's extra money, it's extra time, it's you know, potentially inconclusive, et cetera, et cetera. I think it just becomes so hard for people to figure out whether or not they want to do it. and then the ones who don't do it, if they don't conceive easily, then it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. Well, I wish we had done PGS testing. What if all those were abnormal? because they can look beautiful and be abnormal, right? I, I yep. uh,
0: what looks like a great healthy embryo can prove to be totally abnormal. Suzanne, your best graded embryos for me have always been abnormal. Oops. And all my day fives have always been abnormal. Every single day five embryo I've ever, ever created. My only embryos that have ever been genetically PGT tested normal are lower graded and day sixes. That's so weird and interesting,
2: every single one. And I can answer your question.
1: (laughs) Well, but I think that (laughs) illustrates the benefit, right? Of PG Like
2: without knowing there's something we're just making a, a guess, right? There's totally a benefit in, in, in patients like Brian, um, and patients with repeat pregnancy loss. And there was even a talk. This year at ASRM that with repeat pregnancy loss, that it might be worthwhile doing an employee testing on the sperm. What is that? Can you to explain that? If, that is just testing the sperm to see if it's normal before you ever do IVF at all. How so, interesting. Because, so yeah, is that there's a couple the, groups the benefit that of that? Just look at the sperm. Do not use this, the, uh, your husband's sperm to go directly to donor.
0: So is that different than a regular um, semen analysis?
2: Yeah, because you'd have to send it off to be tested to see if it's um, normal or abnormal. Just like we're testing the, the embryo for aneuploidy, we'd be solely testing the sperm for aneuploidy.
0: But most how, of the time... Go ahead. How do you do that when there are so many sperms? Like, how do how you do I you think they're looking as that? an average. You
2: send the specimen off and they're testing an average interesting Um, they recommended it more often than not aneuploidies in embryos is maternal but they this comment that intrigued me that with repeat pregnancy loss you have more of a chance of um, of it being possibly a paternal issue and with those situations it could be beneficial to test the sperm for inequality before you ever get into doing the IVF. And I thought that was a direction that could be looked at with repeat pregnancy loss.
0: That I find that super interesting because I remember I know we had this conversation before, but my first two rounds of IVF, they actually were able to tell us the right parental origin. Yeah. And then this last one, that was no longer a thing where they could tell you what the parental origin was of the aneuploidy. And I found that upsetting kind of, cause I mean, even though I'm sure it was maternal, all of our abnormals before this have always been maternal maternal. But like, yeah. But I don't know that for sure. Like, I mean, this last one, right. I mean, we had six embryos all were abnormal. I mean, were they all me? I have no idea. Do you find that helpful to have that information for your, for your patients? I find it helpful. Not everybody finds it helpful.
2: Um, Uh, And the group we're getting ready to switch to for um, PGT, you can – patients can pay a little bit extra to get that information Mm. um, if they want it because they can go either way. Um,
0: Well, don't you think from a logistical standpoint, even just from an information standpoint, if the embryos look good and they're well-graded and you get day fives and sixes easily – and every time they're aneuploid and you can't tell where the parent of origin is, how do you guide your patient then to decide to go down? Maybe you go down donor egg route, maybe you go down donor sperm route. Like, isn't it just kind of a shot in the dark? I agree, that's why I liked the SNP procedure because it
2: gave you that extra information. Yeah. But everybody was jumping on the next gen sequencing bandwagon this is, one, I think, one of your last questions that you had on here, which was the, what do we see on the horizon for PGT? Uh, but everybody was going to next-gen sequencing versus, versus SNP, and you couldn't get that information with next-gen se- sequencing. You could only get it with the SNP side. Um, but I think they're advancing the next-gen or they're doing high-output SNP or something now to where you can get both. So it's it's, you either get mosaicism or you get the paternal information. Mm. Uh, it was one or the other. We were, we fell on the side of the mosaicism versus the paternal. And then they stopped offering the paternal. And mm. now we're, this company we're getting ready to go to, we can get both.
0: I think that that is really helpful information just from a patient perspective, like, you know, and not in like a negative way where like, I'm already blaming myself enough. Like I, that doesn't do anything to like make, make me feel worse. You know, I just think for educational purposes, like if we want to have enough information to get us to a live birth rate as fast as we possibly can, I just feel like that information would be helpful. Mm
2: -hmm. I found it helpful because it helped me because I used that pixie dish as well. if I had a poor quality sperm, am I selecting the sperm properly? Mm. Um, I I always blame myself as well. So if I'm not doing my job, then maybe I'm putting in a wrong sperm. I use it as a, a guide for myself as well.
0: I would have never thought about that, Suzanne, that you would ever blame yourself for something like that. Like that's not ha. something that I would ever think.
2: Ha. Ha ha. Welcome to my world. (laughs) I just,
1: I think it's important uh, that you said that though, because I think, again, people don't really understand, they understand that it's a science process, but they don't necessarily understand the art of the science, the 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 nuances, right? Like that's not, you're not using AI. It's not a robot that does it. It's a human being who has to sit down and say, okay this is how I, this is my criteria for choosing the best sperm and, and to, to do this production. So it is, I'm sure it just feels like a lot of pressure.
2: It's a lot of pressure.
0: And it's all Especially very when timely. You're working on somebody that you feel is a friend. So. Yeah. yeah. But also like, I, I feel like there's not only pressure then there at that point, but also the timeline is so much pressure. Like I know that What is your schedule like? You don't even know because it's all depends on when somebody's having a retrieval and you cannot predict that really. I mean, you can kind of predict that it's going to be sometime between 10 and 16 days after they start their meds. But like, I mean, it all is timed so perfectly. It's really fascinating.
2: Oh, we had a case where the husband couldn't collect and he didn't bring us a specimen in until the afternoon and the eggs
0: are sitting there. oh my gosh what What do you um, do in a situation like that
2: well we had the backup but his specimen was poor quality so we really needed the fresh and and it really limited the time we were able to work on the eggs
0: because he couldn't flex wow
3: well
1: that um, was definitely out of your control though
0: for sure yeah well
2: Well, let me ask that's
0: really
1: interesting about
2: timing because we really only have we try to work within a four to six hour window, but we really only have maximum an eight hour window. So when you're you're squeezing it tighter because the husband can't get us what we need, then um and then there's we don't have any time to search. It really makes it hard.
0: I was about to ask, like what is that? Like is from the moment Egg comes out of body. Like I remember, like being in the lab with you, and it, your lab is literally next door to the operating room where you're doing the retrieval, and they pass it to you one by one. What is the timeline that that looks like from the time it leaves my ovary to the time my husband's sperm would be fertilized? I start timing
2: from the time we finish the retrieval. Gotcha. Okay. So that's that's the tock to the um, four to six hour.
0: And so that you have four to six hours to fertilize all of the eggs. Yeah. Wow. I'm and sorry. something I
1: didn't know that you showed me in the laboratory, which I think is super interesting, is that if if you have a healthy sperm sample, it's not such a big deal. But if the sperm are unhealthy or they're non-modal or various things. You have to observe with your eyes through the microscope and really do a needle in a haystack to visually discover the sperm that look like they're doing the best and then try to pick them up, which means you might be sitting there for hours looking at all these unhealthy sperm that are just kind of sitting there and they're not really doing what they're supposed to do. And then you have to go, oh, I think that might be one and pick it up and try to proceed I mean that takes an extreme amount of time it's a really really
0: slow process and when yeah, you I mean, have like three
2: three hours to find free sperm
0: oh my god! Well, and for somebody like me who has lots of eggs I'm first of all sorry because you know I mean <laughs> 26 eggs this last time I mean how long realistically did that take you guys uh if it's a good if it's a good sperm's best when it doesn't take us that long
2: um, you know, if I've got good sperm, I can inject, uh, eight eggs in probably in 50 minutes. So, you know, calculate that out to your 26,
1: 45 <laughs> minutes to get all of her eggs yeah. injected. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. Even yeah. still though, if you have multiple retrievals on the that. same day, right. It's time it's consuming. Probably less
2: than, it's probably less than that. It's probably 10 minutes if, if I've got good specimen, but, um, but if we have multiple, it's David and I are both working. If we've got four or five cycles, David's going to be injecting some as well.
0: Yeah. So yeah, that's a, lot. It's a long day. It's and a long then, day and it's
2: extended because of the the pixie dish, but we're trying right. to select the best sperm to go in.
0: Well, then I think it's really, really interesting too, how you track embryos after that. So like how, I mean, cause if you have multiple retrievals all on the same day, all different batches, all within an hour apart or two, however long apart from each other. How do you accurately track those over the next days? Like, how does that work? Uh, we have our timing.
2: You know, we 18 hour, 16 to 18 hours for uh, fertilization, 44 hours day two, 69 hours for uh, day three, so forth and so on specific times where we look at them
0: is there a timer like like how does that work logistically with y'all's schedules
2: (laughs) (laughs) we just are working all day
0: (laughs) I just think that that's
2: a lot doing something while other people are doing other stuff so you know if we've got retrievals cats doing retrievals you know David's thawing eggs for your embryos for frozen cycles I'll be looking at embryos Everybody's doing other stuff. We all have our roles.
0: Sounds like a very well oiled machine at this point. It has to be.
2: Yeah. Otherwise, there's going to be problems that happen.
0: Right. That we don't
2: want to happen. Right. But everybody has their roles, and we all know what our roles are. Thankfully, mine was I didn't have to do much today. <laughs> <I didn't> come <laughs> home early.
0: Well, we're glad but that tomorrow, you brought
2: that. T- tomorrow is biopsy day.
0: Interesting. So, do you have? So, even though people, how does biopsy day work though? If technically everybody could be on a different day, right? Or everybody on the same
2: day, it just all depends on when the embryos are ready. Right. It's not a day. So, right. We've got one person on day six tomorrow, and I think two or three people on day five. Gotcha. um, If they're expanded, then we biopsy. If they're not, they get pushed to the next day.
0: Right. It's really fascinating. I wish oh, I my job's cool. It is for sure. Like, it's very, very cool.
1: So, yep. Sue, you have mentioned that part of your eventual retirement plan might <laughs> be <laughs> not that that's really ever going to happen, but might be to exit into kind of a coaching facilitator dimension. And I love that. And why? why, what do you think could be improved as far as communication? and how do we help patients get better outcomes? What kind of things would you like to see done in that in that respect?
2: I think if uh, these guys can learn sooner to uh, about healthy diet, which I think you're doing well right now and supplementation that hopefully their specimens can improve. Um,
1: Cause they have the luxury of making sperm all the time. It's not like women where you got your eggs, right. Uh, you know, 50 years ago or 40 years ago, however old you are. And that's all. They have the luxury of right. making sperm throughout
2: their life. It's a 70 day process and a whole new batch uh, every 70 days. and. But they're affected at different times during that seventy days differently. So, all during that, that time, they have to have a healthy uh, diet and supplementation. Right. So, uh, they just need to behave themselves and not smoke and drink excessively. And
1: what do you think about just sitting? You know, what are the sitting is the new smoking? Is sitting problematic for sperm? I think it has to be sitting. You mean like just yes. being sedentary? Yes, just being sedentary, truck drivers, sitting truck drivers, pilots. right? People that sit at pilots. Oh my mm-hmm. God, their sperm are bad. Yes, their sperm are bad. Their sperm. We have so many patients in this region that have poor sperm because
2: they're pilots.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. But the military does not want to acknowledge that.
2: <laughs> no. Um, Interesting. We have a lot of pilots that. Um, have bad specimens
1: i think too like to become a pilot you are you're in that stretch in your most fertile years most guys that fly planes they start right out of high school or college Mm -hmm. working their way towards that and they're sitting in a radioactive machine in the air with all the frequencies and the instrumentation and the G's and the heat and the extreme highs and lows and all those things. And I think, and not to mention all of the uh, other things you get from the military, which is
2: lots and lots of vaccines. Now, yeah. we'll tell you that COVID did yeah. severely affect a couple of our patients' sperm specimens. Mm-hmm. They were hospitalized. Yes. And fever was so high that they went from here to here
0: with their sperm specimen. So way drastically dropped their specimen. So, um, oh, that's really interesting. So you mean like directly after having the virus?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Interesting.
0: Yeah. Now, it could have been fever or it could have been the virus itself. I don't know which. Do you see that with like people that get the flu? Have not. No. Interesting. Why. Or any other kind of virus?
2: But I don't ask them, did you have the flu? Oh,
0: yeah. I wonder if that's ever even been studied. Like what is like, right. what is the studying on sperm health and viral associations? Like, so, but
2: I don't know how they're, how high their temperature has gone up to where they're hospitalized either and how mm-hmm. long they have that fever. So interesting how high the temperature got, even with the, the COVID, because I don't think temperatures gotten that high with COVID. I think it's more
0: the virus. You know, I had the, I was, I was in quarantine one time um, in 2013, 2014, somewhere between 2012 and 2014. I don't remember the exact year. I got the swine flu. Mm. Yes. Cause I just get it all. I had, the, got the swine flu and they like put me in like 12 hour isolation at Baptist hospital. Well, because my fever was like 103. And then they put me on Tamiflu to break my fever. And I hallucinated. I thought there were snakes in my bed for days. Afterwards. I, thought, I thought you were going to say pigs. <laughs> snakes. It was horrible. It was horrible. And of course, like I immediately started like Googling. Um, I was like, Tamiflu like what is Tamiflu and it did it broke my fever and then I got to come back home and then I had hallucinations that night but I remember I called my primary care doctor the next day and I was like I'm seeing things and they were like oh yeah that happens in adults who take Tamiflu and I was like what (laughs) like this is normal and they were like yeah they're they probably should have warned you about that at the hospital Tamiflu is like meant for children um but with adults sometimes that can happen to everybody yeah. I don't know. That was wild. My roommate at the and time, Dr. K
2: takes it every year.
0: Does he does he get the flu every year? Yeah. Poor guy. <laughs> that sucks. I yeah, I 100% hallucinated. My old roommate Justin said it was a terrifying like 3 days. I was on it for I think like 5 days probably, but like the first like few days it was wild. Anyways, that's a big tangent, sorry. Aaron's looking at me like Come on, me wrap it up. squirrel.
1: <laughs> I'm just glad I wasn't the only I wasn't the only one. It's fine. It's good.
2: <laughs> you got you got uh swine flu too or the squirreling?
0: The so squirreling.
2: The squirreling. Well, and squirreling. I mean, it happens with us ADD people. It's true.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, Sue's, do you have any other Closing remarks? Have we gotten you into a sufficient amount of trouble? I think you've gotten
0: me in a hell of a lot of trouble. Good. <laughs> we wanted to.
1: We could have given you a pseudonym. We can change your name and we can call you Sally and no one will ever know.
0: We'll just put out think all of the People will absolutely know who I am.
2: <laughs>
0: well, that's because uh, everybody I'm... who knows you loves you. And they're going to be mm-hmm. excited to listen to this
2: oh yeah i'm sure but i don't think i have any
0: closing remarks i think
2: i think as far as the uh, coaching later or just talking to my patients you know i'm doing a whole lot more talking than i ever used to do people are patients are just coming in talking to me about male factor a lot more yeah. than they ever used to, so it is becoming more prevalent. I think that was one of y'all's questions in there as well.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, then you get to use that teacher hat you wanted.
2: I I do get to use that teacher hat every now, and then, but um, you know it's it, it's all about uh, supplementation. I think and education. Why, what what's going on in the world that's causing causing all these problems? And I just think it's in a lot of it's environmental and Y'all hit it on the head with the global warming and
0: hustle culture. <laughs> so what culture? Hustle culture.
2: Hustle culture, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It's, it's, but that's also on the female side. Your hustle hustle culture. The it is high intensity type A personalities,
0: overachievers. Is, uh, yeah. Yep, that way. Overachievers.
2: Oba. <laughs> Oba achievers. Yeah. Yup. That's pretty funny. Yep. Well so. Okay.
1: I think we have to wrap it up now. I'm all about it. Well, we'll probably have you
0: back and have more questions. Yeah, this time. should be like a recurring thing, like every quarter or something. We do like a catch up in the world of sperm doc.
2: Yeah. Um I don't know what different we'll talk about, but we can try.
1: <laughs> we can always come up with new things. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, I'm I'm sure y'all will dig up something, dig up some dirt on me that you can ask me questions about.
1: You're just in such a unique position. I mean, how many <laughs> embryologists are there in this country? It's right. not, it's not a lot. There's. A lot of curious people and very few people that actually do that and have been in the industry for as many years as you've had. So you've seen everything change. Maybe that's what we'll talk about next time is how everything's changed. But anyhow, you, you just have a great insight that, you know, other people don't have access to. And you're funny. The change is we're
2: working harder. We're working harder. There's, there's that. Sure.
1: You're outnumbered for sure. Yep. For sure. <laughs> well, well, ladies.
0: Thank you. It was a joy. Thank you all. Yes. It was fun.
3: All right. I think that'd be fun, don't you?
2: Well, you know, catherine has got to think of a study for her PhD. We need to think of something. Yes. 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 Okay. Yes. We're on a we're on a brain brain think right now on what she could do for her uh, PhD.
0: Okay, that's awesome. Okay, well, all right. I'll be thinking about it.
2: Okay. <laughs> she could be your next conversation.
0: I know she know. really should be both her and David. She... I would love to have like a joint her and David conversation. I think that'd be really fun.
2: Oh my god. Y'all would never have a serious conversation. Talk about
0: spiraling off everywhere. (laughs) But that's okay. That's like part of this. We don't, doesn't, not everything has to be, we can just talk. Yeah. That's okay.
1: Catherine's like, she's in the next gen. So that's interesting. She is in the next gen. Yeah. Her perspective will be different because she's, she's fresh.
2: Yeah. She's much more molecular than I David and I are it's Mm -hmm. very interesting the way her brain thinks
0: I love that that's really cool and I bet that makes it like really awesome for y'all's little team too yep
2: so you see her brain going in a completely different direction than what we would ever think about doing
0: that's cool that's a really cool perspective yep yeah well we will plan for that shortly all right well thank you, Susan. Later, ladies. Yes. Have a Bye. good night, darling. Have a thank great you. night. We love y'all. You too. The Protected Space Podcast is hosted by Erin Attaway and Bryant Liggett and is brought to you by the Fertility Resort. To learn more about us, head over to the FertilityResort.com and give us a follow on all social platforms at Protected Space Pod.